Father, thank you so much for this weekend and just the joy it has been to be together, the joy it has been to worship together, to hear a good teaching from your word, to share from the heart together. Um, Yeah, Lord, it's been such a gift. And Lord, I do ask for this last session that you would just really continue that work, calm our hearts and minds, help us to receive the word that you have for us. Um, yeah, and just encourage Ellen, give her a taste of that, the joy at the, the mm. feast of the lamb that we'll have. Mm. Um, and just, yeah, thanks for what you've given her to bring to us this morning. Mm-hmm. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. We're heading towards the finish line. And this morning, we're going to finish out our retreat on friendship as spiritual companionship. By considering life together as the bride of Christ, living now as we wait for heaven. And so, a lot of you kind of know me and parts of my story. Um, I've been a bridesmaid um, many times, um, but I've never been a bride. And, you know, who knows? It, It may still happen. One of those role models in my life, Nancy Lee DeMoss, she got married at 57 for the first time. And I've known a lot of women, actually, who have gotten married for the first time in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And maybe, maybe that'll be me. I'm open to it. You know, if God brings uh, me and a man together. Um, you know, I've had men that I've, I've loved and would have wanted to marry. But the true vine stepped in and said, no, this isn't my plan for you. I've had heartache. I've had lots of times of feeling other. As friends got married, as they started having babies, as now those friends are becoming grandmoms. And that's not been my journey. My journey has been one to be a spiritual mother um, rather than a biological or even an adoptive mother. Um, But I can tell you that as we talk about all the things we've talked about this weekend, you are in part receiving some of the fruit of my life as an unmarried woman. Because I have, and this is no different from married women, but my singleness has created a unique context in which to press into the companionship of Jesus. And when I was younger, I would have anticipated that I would have been gotten married and had kids, just because most, most women do. But not all women, and actually in the New Life community, there's quite a few of us who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who are women who have never married. This has been not, it hasn't been God's plan for them. But again, I want to just tell you, I want to testify that what we're going to talk about this morning has been so recalibrating for me as I've journeyed into now older woman status as an unmarried woman, but also as I think about all of you as my sisters, as my fellow branches, as friends, that what we're going to talk about today is just another aspect, another taste that can help us when we consider that there is a beautiful, miraculous reality that this life is not all there is. I mean, thank you, Lord. Like That is so helpful. I mean, there's something. There is someone, and Sarah, you just beautifully prepared us, I think, for this talk that there's somebody waiting for us, uh, and there's something waiting for, waiting for us, an eternal loving relationship of friendship, of marriage. And we're not going to need any battle buddies because the battle's going to be done. No more battle. So what we're going to talk about this morning is this beautiful 
reality that the scriptures tell us about God's people being a wife to him. And in the New Testament, it's more referred to as being the bride of Christ. And I really believe that this can be so deeply reorienting for all of us, whether if you're in a great marriage or maybe your marriage has been not what you thought it would be. Maybe it's been so much harder than what you thought it would be. Or if you're single and struggling for whatever reason as an unmarried woman, maybe you lost a treasured husband. Maybe a marriage fell apart and you just can't. You can't get to that healing that you're really longing for in your heart. You could be, of whatever your situation, anxious, angry, sad, grieving, confused, and and discombobulated because time keeps passing by in this life. It's just not turning out the way you thought it would. Whether if it's friendship, you know, in regards to friendship or ministry or career, again, your marriage, kids, grands, your health, your finances, and so much more. And listen, sisters, we're not going to minimize any of this. I'm not going to spiritualize painful earthly realities. But we are going to consider, um, if, you, if you will receive this from the Lord, and I just want to be his, his instrument, to kind of lift your gaze up to the eternal heavenly reality that is ours and that is meant to shape us and influence us now in the land of the living and in our companionship with each other. So what I want to do, we're just going to do a quick scan, and I do mean quick, about how the Bible speaks to this idea of God marrying his people. And this might be really new for some of you. When I first started kind of grasping this, when I was studying the word and just being taught, it was really just kind of like, like, what? This is, it's kind of different, but it's really beautiful. And on this point, you know, with me just doing a scan, uh, we're going to send out, I'm going to put together a list of some recommended books and even articles that go with the different talks I've given. And we'll send that out in an email for any of you that might want to be interested to kind of dive into some of this more specifically. So quickly, in the Old Testament, kind of chapter of God's redemptive history, we see this story of God calling a people to himself to be his treasured people, purely due to his gracious, faithful love. This wasn't because of us making ourselves pretty, making ourselves whatever. It was purely his gracious initiative love towards us. It's really a love story. It's a love story of God taking that initiative to make a covenant with us, to be faithful to his covenant, and to enable us to be faithful to that covenant. And all of this is in the context of God being a husband to his people. Here are some passages to consider. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6. For your maker is your husband, The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, there's also places where God, as a husband, he calls out his wife, his people, when they've been unfaithful to him 
In fact, the Old Testament would call this as adultery. You've been unfaithful. You've been going out among the nations and being unfaithful in light of just worshiping false idols. Jeremiah three twenty. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And then finally, the book of Hosea has a lot to say to us about this. Hosea 2.16 and then 2.19 and 20. And then that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. In other words, no longer are you going to equate me, your maker and husband, with your false saviors. He says, no longer are you going to call me that because I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I mean, you can't read the scriptures and get away from the fact that God wants a deep, committed, affectionate relationship with us. And we don't always feel that. We don't always sense that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is who our God is. Now, in the New Testament, the vocabulary changes a little bit. And we, we see it, we say the same love story flowing from the Old Testament into the New Testament with Jesus coming as Messiah, as the bridegroom. And, and this is actually something I'm so thankful for our church at New Life and other churches and our women's Bible study, the gospel living class, the preaching that we have each Sunday is there's a consistent commitment to see the scriptures as one story with different seasons, different chapters, but with one story that's really pointing to what we're going to get at today. But in the New Testament, we see again that God is relentless in his pursuit of a bride. And we learn, though, the New Testament gives some more clarity that this bride is for his son. That Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. And that believers in Christ who have been planted in Jesus, the true vine, remember the union, that we are being prepared as a bride for this son. We are corporately referred to as the church and as the bride of Christ. And really, as a very powerful identification with this, John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, He identifies not only Jesus as the bridegroom, which was a clear expression of a fulfillment of the Old Testament, but he calls himself, he identifies himself as a friend, a philos is actually the word used, an attendant of the bridegroom. And so when John's disciples, you know, John had burst on the scene. He was like the final prophet. He was a little bit different. He had been called through His parents, the word of the Lord coming to Zechariah, basically he took what was called in the Old Testament a Nazarite vow. And this was somebody like Samson was under a Nazarite vow. And this was somebody that had different kind of rules and restrictions on their life as a way of being fully dedicated to the Lord. Um, And for the men that did this, they were not to cut their hair. They were not to uh, shave their beard. And so John was, you know, quite the character out there in the desert having locusts to eat and you know kind of a a big bushy beard even though those are so popular right now so who knows maybe there's a lot of guys around to say i'm going to take a nazarite vow but john's disciples were saying hey john 
there's so many, so many people that used to come and listen to you. They're following after Jesus now. Like, you know, what should we make of this? And here's how John responds. Three, tw- chapter th- uh, in the Gospel of John, that's a different John. Three, starting in verse 29. John says, hey guys. That's ESV, Ellen Standard Version Translation. <laughs> hey guys. Hey, the one who has the bride, that's the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine, and it's complete. He, the bridegroom, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist was, in so many words, saying, this is Messiah. This is the bridegroom we've been waiting for. And again, the meaning is that this friend, again, John uses the word philos. It's a, remember, this is a word that means companion. And in this context, it's a groomsman. He was there to attend upon and serve the bridegroom. And in the Jewish cultural context, that attendant to the bridegroom would, would serve that man. And he would also sometimes go and ask the bride for the bridegroom's hand in marriage on his behalf. So there's a lot there to think about in what John the Baptist was saying. So we see this same picture unpacked in a lot of the, throughout the New Testament. Uh, We see this in Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about human marriage. Go to uh, Ephesians um, chapter 5, and some of you have probably heard this. You might have had this passage read in your in your weddings, those of you who are marriage, where he's talking about how husbands and wives are meant to relate to each other, uh, laying down their lives, a husband laying down his life for his wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. And then Paul says this, this um, clarifying thing. He says, hey, I know this is a profound mystery, but what, what I'm talking about here, what marriage is meant to be a signpost pointing beyond itself is the way that Christ relates to his bride, the church. Remember what we talked about um, last night in 2 Corinthians eleven two, where Paul said that he had betrothed the people of God, the, the Corinthians, he had betrothed them to one husband. Again, he's bringing out this picture. But once again, we also see that the New Testament writers, like in James, they put words on... What happens when God's people turn away? So listen to what James says, chapter 4, 1 to 4. Hey, what, what causes quarrels and f- causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So James is bringing out this reality again that our unfaithfulness to God is equated with spiritual adultery. Because we have been betrothed to our heavenly bridegroom. We beautifully already looked at Revelation as Sarah led us, but let me read us one more to have insight about how God is leading, how what he's preparing us for. Revelation 19, 6 to 8. And this is, again, John, who wrote the Gospel of John. He's speaking this uh, revelation that God had given to him. 
about the times to come. He said, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready It was granted to her, it was grace to her, it was blessed to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is what? It's the righteous deeds of the saints. That is John 15, the much fruit bearing out in godliness, righteousness, love, and faith. That is our, going to be a part of our clothing, enabled by the Lord, as we are being prepared to be joined to our bridegroom, Jesus. But, again, we think, well, I don't feel that. I, it, doesn't, it, it seems so hard in this season that we're in right now. We're betrothed, but the marriage has not been consummated yet. The full union between us and our Savior hasn't happened because we're still in this sinful world. We are in Christ. We have been made holy, but we're still working out our salvation. But this full union is coming. And Nancy Guthrie says in her book, Even Better Than Eden, she says, This is proving to be an unexpectedly long engagement. The Father has set a date for the wedding, and the invitations have been sent out, yet this wedding... It's only going to be the beginning. With Christ, we will have an eternal marriage. And we won't have to say, till death do us part. And sisters, when we place all of our hopes for love in this life on a husband, on a boyfriend, on a friend, on even our own children or grandchildren, or even a a leader we follow, when we place all of our hopes for love in this life, Somehow the love of Christ can seem pale, dull, and dare I say, not quite as romantic as what we can get in the human realm. And all of us, every single one of us here, has been disappointed somehow, some way, with the love of humans. I like how Nancy goes on in her book. She says, our less than perfect marriages or our longings to be married can wet, can stir our appetites up for this perfect marriage to come with Christ. Whether we're married or single, divorced or widowed, our lives are meant to be spent nurturing our longings for this better marriage. And someday, that longing is going to be fulfilled. In this last sentence, I'm going to quote from Nancy, is why we need each other alongside the vine and why we need battle buddies. Here it is. Don't stuff down those desires to be loved that way. Direct your desires, not to this world, but direct your desires towards the only one who can love you this way forever. Like, I need people helping me. Like, Elle, you're putting your hope in this life. And I need to be able to love my my friends and all of you enough to say, hey, I know it's hard. I know this hurts so much. But our ultimate love and hope and connection, it's not going to happen in this life. In this life, the best marriages 
are a dim reflection of what's to come. The closest, richest friendships are a beautiful taste of what's to come. So you see, we're all members of the bride of Christ, and yet to each other, we are friends, we are companions, we are branches, battle buddies, and bridesmaids. I think John had it right. Because of our relationship with Jesus, our friendships with each other can provide, can provide and be a kind of attending upon each other, like helping each other get ready for that wedding day, but not getting distracted with all the planning and the details. You know, when Jesus said, hey, I don't call you servants any longer, I call you friends, that doesn't mean we're not servants anymore. He was just saying, that's not my, the primary way I identify you. We're still called to serve. But we do that out of our friendship with Christ. And so as we help each other get ready for that wedding day, we're not going to forget the bridegroom, no matter how much we enjoy each other and all the parties and the showers leading up to the wedding. We come alongside of each other with encouragement and comfort when this long engagement feels long, painful and difficult. And maybe we start feeling like, is there really going to be a wedding? Because we're, we're separated after all. We're, we're still living in this world. And... I love this, that our Lord Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, he knows how easy it is for us to turn to lesser loves. And what does he do? No, he keeps coming after us. He keeps coming after us. Now, keeping all this in mind, I want to use a little sanctified imagination this morning. Okay? So go with me here. Keeping all this in mind, I want to... Uh, you to imagine with me that I've been keeping a secret from all of you. Nobody here knew it until this moment. I'm engaged and I've planned the wedding for today. And because you stayed till Sunday morning, you all get to be my bridesmaids. Okay. Because you, you hung it out till the end sisters. I've got it all planned. We're actually going to have the ceremony right in here. You're all going to be my bridesmaids, and, I've, and I, I've already told you this. I've told you, I want, you can get whatever dress you want, whatever you want, but it needs to be orange or yellow. You need matching shoes and some matching accessories. So, Lois, you're keeping your thing open for a while. And we've already prepped. We've rehearsed, and you all know what you need to do, and I know what I need to do. Now, consider my man, my bridegroom. He comes in. He's standing here. He's waiting for the processional to begin. You know, we've all been over in the Davis Center getting all ready. He's waiting for this to begin. And so the bridesmaids start coming in. They start to, to, to come in just slowly. And then a few, of, a few of these bridesmaids stop and say, Hey, y'all, look at this dress I found on special. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, she didn't give us much time to get ready, but, you know, I found something. You know, look at this. I mean, it's a miracle I even got here on time with all the traffic out there. And you know what? I mean, this dress is okay, but it's not really my color. Maybe she sees other people in the audience. Like, she sees some of you. And she's like, you know what? Yeah, you know, just hold on, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bridegroom. I just going to get some chat here. You know, I heard this place local. The coffee is amazing. I'm just going to run out. Who needs something? Who wants, you know, double shot, triple latte, soy, light foam, heavy caramel? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Maybe some of those bridesmaids say, you know, today is so pretty. I need to be outside. Who wants to, you know, the wedding can wait. Let's go out on the, on the beach. Can you imagine me as the bride? Like, I'm back there. 
And I'm thinking, hey, these are my girls. Like, I love them. But can you imagine if I start walking up the aisle, but I see all my bridesmaids, they're kind of like running out on the beach. They're throwing off their shoes like, oh, we are going to have some fun today. And I'm like, I'm seeing all them. And I'm like, FOMO! I don't want to miss out. Like, I can't, those are my girls. So I go out there too, and somebody just starts breaking out. And the bridegroom... We laugh about this, and maybe we're kind of horrified. Why? Because that's not how a wedding is supposed to go, is it? No. The bride is at that ceremony for one purpose. She is there to become one with her bridegroom, to join her life to his, receive a new name, a new identity, and the wedding party, those attendants, those bridesmaids, why are they there? They're there to, to celebrate. They're there to help with flowers, the dress, the makeup, all of that. But most importantly, those bridesmaids are there serving the bridegroom and the bride. They're serving her by encouraging her, praying for her, by witnessing her vows and saying, Girl, we are here to help you be faithful to this man. Brother, we are here that this marriage would flourish. We're going to pray for you when marriage is hard. We're going to celebrate with you when it's great. We're your friends. and We want your marriage to, to grow. And we want your family to flourish. That's what wedding ceremonies are meant to point to. All of this under the Lord and for the Lord and to the Lord. Now, I want to pivot And we're going to close out our time and close out our retreat and bring this down even a bit more street level to bring this home about how do we help each other attend upon the Lord and help each other by attending upon each other, by serving in a sense as people, women in the bride of Christ, but being bridesmaids for each other, waiting for this wedding, preparing for this wedding. And what I want to ask you to do with your imagination, and I'm going to lead us, is I want to just take what we would envision for the perfect wedding day or for that friend, for the friend that might, for whom we might be serving as a bridesmaid. And we're going to apply this to our spiritual identity as women in the bride of Christ. I've got two main ideas that I'm going to unpack. Number one, first, we're here to remember, help each other remember that there is a wedding company. There is a wedding that is coming. Number two is that We're here to help each other get ready for that wedding day. So number one, we're here to help each other remember that there is a wedding day coming for all who are united to Christ. So we're not just branches in the vine. We are a part of the bride of Christ. And so we help each other think about him. We help each other direct our desires towards him. And our relationship with him in this marriage that is to come. The only one, the only marriage that's going to exist in heaven. So we might reflect on each other. We might come together and talk about and pray through passages like Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Hey, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Because, John 15, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your very life, 
the one to whom you are united, when he who loves you and is waiting for you as your faithful bridegroom, when he appears, then you're going to appear with him in glory. So we remember there's a wedding coming, and we know who the bridegroom is, and he's waiting for us. But then number two, and this is where I'm going to take the most time, we help each other get ready for the wedding day. So we remind each other that we're engaged to someone, and this wedding could come at any moment. We don't know the date. We're in a season of prolonged waiting, hoping. But we help each other stay faithful, not getting distracted, resisting the temptations towards spiritual adultery. But also, we send out the invitations together. We're not content just with our little wedding party. No. We don't think, oh, well, we've got our attendance, so there's no, there's no more need for anyone else. No. Because the bridegroom, he says, no, this wedding hall, it can fit billions. And girl, you have no budget for this. Jesus, go out and find more to celebrate. Go out, tell them, get those invitations out. So you and your bridesmaids stop fiddling with all your accessories, which are beautiful. But they're not as significant as the guests, those who are going to be at that feast in Zion. But here's another thing about getting ready for the wedding day. Like anybody who's going to get married, you know that you and your bridesmaids can get scared or distracted, maybe even fall. You get scared. I mean, this waiting period, you're thinking, this is a big commitment. I mean, is he really worth it? Like, I'm giving up so much. I mean, this is expensive. It's, it's costly for sure. Like, I don't know if I want to let go of life as it is. I mean, in my unmarriedness, you know, I've, I've had a lot, of, a lot of freedom. So you You help each other practice remembering things like what our spiritual relative Peter said. Who He's going to be at the wedding. In his second letter, he said, chapter 1, he said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. But in this way, they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we're scared, big commitment for this bridegroom. We help each other. It's worth it, though. But maybe you're not scared. I mean, you're not scared of these vows, but you feel solid in your commitment. But you, or maybe one of your bridal buddies, you just get distracted. You know, you're waiting, and you're just kind of preoccupied with your own thing. I mean, there's a lot to consider in this waiting period. You're waiting, but, I mean, there's still bills to pay. There's still things to attend to in your current house while you wait for the new one. Honestly, sometimes you just feel lonely, you know, waiting. You're waiting all the time. And in those moments, in those seasons, you might just say, you know what? I just want to forget that I'm engaged. I mean, just for this weekend, okay? I'm single. I'm just going to go out and kind of do me. I might even get online and look for someone to hang out with tonight. I mean, what should he expect? He's making me wait so long. Well, I mean... What would we say as a fellow bridesmaid? We would say, sister, that is some vain jangling going on. No, 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 girl. No, you are called to decrease. You are called to wait, to hold fast to the engagement vows you've made. Come on, come on, let's go hang out. Maybe we can come and read some of his love letters to you. These promises 
that he's made to, to both of us. You know what? Maybe we can even call him and, and talk to him together. I, I can help you. I'll help you confess to him how much you're struggling in this waiting time. But you know, you might not get scared or distracted, but we all know there is no perfect bride. What happens when a bride falls? When a the gauge falls, gets bruised, gets broken, feels unlovely, doesn't feel worthy of going to the wedding. Well, you come alongside that girl and you lift her up. I mean, she's crying. She's embarrassed. She's ashamed. So probably as loving bridesmaids and attendants, we don't want to come alongside her and say, friend, the groom told you that this is going to work out for good. I mean, he's got a plan, and the wedding is, isn't going to get canceled. I mean, why are you doubting? What's wrong with you? No, we, we wouldn't say that. And we absolutely would not say, what did you expect? I told you not to run in those heels. <laughs> Maybe we don't even use words, at least not initially. But like a battle buddy... We just kind of go and put our arm around her and say, I know, I've fallen too. I'm I'm weary too, but you know what? I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you walk forward. You ready? Let's go. We help each other. There's no perfect brides. And finally, what do we do pre-wedding, pre-marriage of the lamb? We practice for the wedding. We go through rehearsal ceremony and even the rehearsal dinner with other members of the wedding party. Every week, typically on Sunday mornings, we're going to gather with others who are also preparing for the wedding. And you just can't stop offering praise and thanks for the bridegroom. I mean, he is amazing. You hear his words. You learn how to live in this waiting time. All the while, you're kind of looking around the room. And you're thinking, this is such a, a quilt of people. Like, we would all never be in the same wedding party together. How did this come together? And like, this bridegroom is truly the most creative one ever to bring together such people. But we've all accepted the invite. We're all getting ready. And you kind of wonder, who am I going to sit next to at the the wedding feast? But in the end, it doesn't really matter. Because you're going to be there with the bridegroom, joined for all eternity. And you just think, this is too much to handle. But, but then you can, you remember, and you help each other remember when you're having those rehearsal dinners. You remember how this bridegroom said he, when he left to go to his father and some of your spiritual relatives, Matthew, Mark, of others, they, they wrote this down so we'd remember it. Remember how the bridegroom said, Philos, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal and to drink of the vine. To drink of the vine with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I'm not going to feast like this again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And you think, what? Our bridegroom is fasting? He's waiting too? He's waiting for his beloved betrothed bride, us, those who believe in him? He's waiting for us to join him together? Yes. That's what's in front of us. It's not in this life, sisters. It's what is to come. We're going to have the most extravagant meal of all time. That's what this wedding supper of the Lamb of God is. 
Jesus, the bridegroom of his church, the people of God who are the bride of Christ, we will feast together. Sisters, we are waiting together. And it is difficult. You might be leaving today with a hurting heart. This life is difficult. It's hard in this waiting time. And we all, myself included, I get very distracted. And I, I get focused on this life, my ministry. This is, this is life. And it's a part of life. But it's not what is to come. And sometimes you might feel like it's just it's not worth it. But our Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine, the heavenly bridegroom, our heavenly father, the master gardener, the one whose will the bridegroom is submitted to, and our helping and comforting spirit, they're not going to go back on their word. This wedding is happening. And they're going to see that we make it through this life and get a seat at that table. We're given, we have such a beautiful Tremendous mission to attend upon each other and to allow ourselves to be attended to by sisters, by friends, by battle buddies, by fellow members of the Bride of Christ. And I hope so much that as we head home today, that you're going to somehow, in the way that only he can do it, that you're going to receive comfort, love, fresh hope from our God, from our risen friend, who, before you know it, he's coming back. This life, it's a snap. It is a, it is a, is it a, quick, it's a quick breath. He's coming back for us, and he's going to bring us home. So I'm going to give you just a quick second to just quietly offer something up in your heart to the Lord. And then I'm going to close us in prayer. Yes, Lord, we, we thank you that so many times uh, in Revelation, you say, I'm coming soon. And we say, come soon, Lord Jesus. Uh, keep us faithful. Uh, help us grow in, in loving each other. Uh, Lord, I know I have things that you're calling me to repent from and, and grow in myself and being a friend to others. I pray that whatever whatever you have planted in our hearts this weekend, that you will just keep watering it and that you'd use us to water it in each other's lives, to bear with each other, uh, to listen, to be a quiet, compassionate presence when that's what's needed, Lord. And so we, we do say, Lord, we, we love you. We love you by faith. We've not seen you, but we love you. And we long to see you face to face. So, Lord... Stir us up. Encourage us. And we just thank you for this this time we've had together. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We honor you. And now we just close out this retreat for you and by you, Lord. Thank you for smiling upon us with your grace and your kindness. Amen.